This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Tesla has set a new sales record and we'll tell you how they did it. And if you aren't using all the tech gadgets that your new car offers, you aren't alone. We'll tell you what a new J.D. Power study found about that, so uh, you'll want to stay with us for those details. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. California save an average $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris, how are you doing? I, I, are you enjoying your week so far? I'm enjoying my week so far. I actually took a break in the middle of the day to go clean up some leaves in the yard. It's that time of year uh, here in Maine, at least, I'm sure. Southern California looks quite different in fall, but uh, we are in the thick of it here. Yeah, you probably have some beautiful colors. I, I raked up a ton of leaves uh, this past weekend. It's just a crazy amount of leaves from my front yard, which is about the size of a throw rug. So <laughs> I can imagine what it would be like if you had a larger yard. But uh, this isn't the, the raking leaves show. This is about cars. And uh, we have a terrific guest for you. Tricia Morrow is a top safety engineer at Chevrolet. She's been on the show before. And she'll reveal to us what you should be thinking about as you prepare your car for fall and then that uh, that horrible winter that is coming up uh, immediately following uh, what we hope is a, a nicer fall. You probably have challenging weather uh, both times of year, don't you, Chris? We do. And, you know, sadly, I moved here 10 years ago and I'm still not used to seeing uh, all the beach pictures from my friends in April when we're still getting snow. So uh, there'll be some good tips, I'm sure. Yeah, and some beach pictures in January I could send you, too, if you really were interested. <laughs> you can keep them. Just keep them. <laughs> yeah, okay. We do have some interesting stories in our news segment, uh, among them this J.D. Power survey that is hot off the press. In fact, we got an early edition of it, so we can reveal to you a lot of what people are finding out. That, that should be interesting. And Tesla continues to uh, make news, and uh, this time they're making news by selling more vehicles than they have in the past, uh, ever. So that's something we will talk about when we come back and uh, chat with you more right here on America on the Road. This is Jack Nerad, and with me is Chris Teague. And we couldn't be happier that you're with us right here on America on the Road. So stay with us for the next segment, and we'll tell you all about how Tesla is able to do what they do. It's just kind of amazing. So stay with us for that, and thanks for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack Nerad back with you. And it is news time. And what wild news we have this time around. Um, I think we have talked on the show, Chris, uh, several times about equipment on cars. And we questioned the idea of are people really using all of this stuff, all these tech whiz kind of gadgets that we have available to us. Well, now we have chapter and verse from a very credible source, J.D. Power, that our suspicions were correct. People are not using this stuff uh, the way maybe some car manufacturers think they are. Uh, what's your initial take on that before we dive into the data here? My initial take, you know, I think auto journalists, especially myself and others who are tech kind of nerds about things, uh, have very strong opinions about how things work and how they don't ultimately. But, uh, you know, the study is very interesting. Some of the things that I'm sure you're going to point out in just a moment outline things that I already feel about how the, the system should work versus how they actually do. Yeah, it's it's really quite interesting because 
there's a dichotomy out there. I mean, people buy cars, and, and J.D. Power attests to this, buy cars based partially on some of the tech features they can get, and yet at the same time, many people don't use a lot of these tech features, and, and they don't care to. It's not like there will be a learning experience and they'll, they'll use them somewhere down the road. They're basically uninterested in saying, oh, I'm not sure I'm ever going to use that, and I don't really care to use that. More than one in three advanced technologies, for more than one in three of these advanced technologies, J.D. Power says fewer than half of owners have used the technology in the first 90 days of ownership. Uh, that's pretty telling right there. You think uh, with new car, you'd be excited about this stuff rather than saying, oh, well, I, I just don't care to, care to learn about that. What do you f feel about that? I think it's interesting, but it also is just, you know, something came to mind while you were saying that is, you know, the technologies that we're seeing rolling out in vehicles now are pretty much a, they're a radical departure from some of the tech that we had even five, six, seven years ago. If you think about the difference between, I don't know, some of the advanced pilot systems like uh, semi-autonomous driving features and just standard cruise control, the, the departure there is huge. There's a big leap between the two. So I can kind of see where some of this is coming from, but uh, it is still interesting to see people not pot, people not using these this technologies as soon as they get the vehicle, or maybe not even ever. Yeah, I mean, there are some technologies, and you scratch your head and go, well, why would I ever use that? 61% uh, of owners say they have never used the in-vehicle digital market technology. I think that's where you can buy stuff using your car as uh, a, a medium to buy stuff. I think a lot of people don't even realize they have that capability, but you know, more than half of people, 51%, say they have no need for that ever. And <laughs> I'm probably right with them. I, I can think of other ways to, to buy stuff rather than using my car or using my smartphone is probably the more, more logical way to do that or just going into the store and buying stuff the old school way. And then there's this driver-passenger communication technology. That's another one. Uh, that has been installed in a lot of vehicles. And, and we tout it. You and I have touted this uh, for some vehicles. 52% say they have never used it, and 40% say they would never use it. For a family guy like you, uh, it probably makes some sense, though, to have that in-vehicle communication, doesn't it? It does make sense. And, you know, it's it's kind of a novelty, obviously. My kids love it because it sounds like I'm coming through on a public address system. But, uh, you know, I think for someone buy first of all if you're buying a minivan or some of the vehicles that actually come with this tech you're probably the type of person who has to haul people around so i you know maybe it's just not wanting to deal with it or it's an extra step to just turn around and yell turning around and yelling at somebody but uh, it seems pretty useful to me i i would use it i have used it you know i think a lot of people just don't know how to turn it on or in the moment <laughs> and that's often when you would want to use that kind of technology it might be simpler to you know, scream than it is to, <laughs> to find a button and, and communicate. I think when you're used to doing that, it can be fun. And we kind of like calling the conning tower on a submarine or something like that. I mean, <laughs> there is that kind of uh, added benefit to uh, hearing something broadcast versus just a, a shout back <laughs> to the back of the car. <laughs> you know, I think, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. But one of the points that the study really points out that I think is key to this whole thing is that dealers, the study says dealers can influence how owners feel about the value of technology. And I think this is one of the most important points out of the whole thing. You know, when you're buying a car, particularly if you're not someone who cares about some of this technology, knowing that it's there, knowing how to use it and knowing how it could benefit you, uh, not only endears you to that vehicle, but it also makes it more likely for you to use it. And I'll use Volvo as an, an example. We just bought a Volvo earlier this uh, summer. 
and the app that comes with it, you can pre-start the car and, you know, change the climate settings and look at maintenance and all that stuff. Uh, my wife loves it, uses it all the time, but she probably would have never picked it up had they not walked her through it and set it up for her at the dealership. So I think that's a key point, and I think that's something that dealers going forward could take a big uh, pointer from. Right. And there's some technologies that score well with people, and then there's some that don't. I, one that doesn't, and I, I don't know that I've ever had a chance to use this at any length, is the interior gesture controls where you use hand motions instead of voice control to try to get the uh, infotainment system or other systems to operate. I mean, a a lot of people have big time problems with that apparently. Uh, 41 problems per 100 vehicles is uh, very, very high. And uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, there's some things like one pedal driving in, in uh, electric cars that you and I have experienced and I think we like a lot. So I think it, it really depends on the technology too. Yeah, I have used the gesture controls and they are a little bit infuriating, but again, something my kids really love, you know, seeing my finger swirling in the air to turn, turn the stereo volume up and down. But then again, they figure out how to do it and can control it from the back seat. So uh, it's hit or miss. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, let's give uh, credit where credit is due to some uh, high-ranking brands here. Genesis ranked the highest overall and in the premium segment in what they call the Innovation Index Score. Cadillac was second, then uh, Volvo, your current brand of of choice, and BMW and Mercedes-Benz. So uh, they were up there. Tesla also ranked high, but it's not ranked officially because it doesn't give permission to J.D. Power to survey its, its owners, which is an interesting take that it has uh, something that it does frequently it just doesn't provide that permission yeah but they get at least 35 states so it's a, a decently representative picture of what's going on yeah and then they can extrapolate from that so they really do have a good picture of what tesla is doing so that's what's going on there's a lot of uh, technology that's apparently going unused and you have to wonder if uh, there will be second and third generations of that technology if uh, A lot of uh, car companies understand that people just kind of don't care. (laughs) Well, switching gears here, uh, and let's talk a little bit more about Tesla because uh, there's certainly some good news from them. They announced, and and Elon Musk announced, because that's that's where it comes from uh, at Tesla, that a record number of electric cars were delivered in the third quarter. And uh, for those of you in, in the stock market, it beat Wall Street estimates. So that's... A wonderful thing, I guess, to do that. And they made a big push, despite the fact that there is this continuing microchip shortage that is really clobbering a lot of uh, companies, including General Motors. What's your take on all this, Chris? It is interesting that they are able to not only meet their goal, but exceed it in the time when everyone else is cutting back. You know, Elon Musk did acknowledge that in his tweet, you know, saying thanks very much to our suppliers and logistics partners. It just, uh, it's it's funny, you know, who's, who are their log- logistics and suppliers and partners uh, that are able to deliver when uh, the others are struggling so hard? Uh, but in any case, it's good uh, for Tesla stockholders uh, and good for the company. So uh, good for them. Absolutely good for them. And uh, they delivered, uh, for the record, we'll, we'll put this on record, they say they delivered 241,300 vehicles in the July to September quarter. That's up 73%. That's an amazing uh, increase. Uh, The analysts predicted they'd deliver about 230,000 vehicles. So not that far off, uh, but certainly better than analyst projections. So that's a very, very good thing. At the same time, General Motors has seen its third quarter U.S. sales fall by 33% 
a lot of it due to the uh, chip shortage and uh, just the shortage of inventory. It's just it's been devastating to General Motors in particular, and I think a lot of manufacturers overall. Yeah, they're looking at billions in lost uh, revenue and sales, and also just the ability to actually produce cars and get them out to customers. So people are waiting long periods of time. The cars are sold before they even come off of the trailers at the dealers, and uh, you know it's just kind of a mess. So. I'll have to see how long it, it drags out. Absolutely. It has uh, allowed uh, Toyota to outsell General Motors in that quarter, in the most recent quarter reported. And for the first nine months of the year, uh, Toyota sold 1.86 million vehicles to GM's 1.78 million. Again, a difficult time for General Motors with the chip shortage. And I think chips go into a lot of their vehicles. They are, of course, very truck-heavy in their mix, and apparently a lot of microchips are causing them to not have the production that they hope to have. Hopefully it straightens out soon. I hope so. And when we come back, we'll try and straighten you out on a a couple of road test vehicles. Uh, Chris was driving the all-new 2022 Honda Civic. Very cool car. I'll give you that as a little tip. And I was driving the 2022 Toyota Mirai, uh, kind of an otherworldly car. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Stay with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nerad back with you. And we're so happy you are with us. Thanks so much for listening to America on the Road. We really do appreciate it. It is road test time. We're excited about the road test vehicles we have this time around. Chris, you have an absolute mainstream vehicle that has been completely redone for the 2022 model year, uh, the Honda Civic. Tell us all about it. You're absolutely right. It's the uh, 2022 Honda Civic sedan, and this is a big deal. The Civic is one of the best-selling, most popular vehicles of all time, anywhere, of any type. Uh, But uh, you may see or hear about the Civic hatchback. That's just coming out now. But this is the sedan. It's a four-door model. It came out a few months ago for the 2022 model year. Uh, You can buy the sedan in several trims, LX, Sport, EX, EXL. I'm sorry, Touring, not EXL. Uh, but I was testing the Touring sedan, which is the the range topping model. It, it's about thirty thousand dollars after uh, destination and taxes. Uh, just a lot of stuff to like, even at the top end of the Civic uh, sedan. But Jack, I want to get your feeling because we talked about the Corolla and how it was one of the best selling vehicles of all time uh, just a few weeks ago. And you know, Honda's pushed the Civic forward. It's a lot more grown up than it used to be. What do you think about the new sort of grown up Civic? I think it's terrific. Uh, I think they've done a lot of interesting things. I think the interior is very inventive. And, you know, you used to get a Honda interior that was very workmanlike, but not all that interesting because one was like another was like another. And I think they've done some uh, interesting stuff in the interior of the new Civic. And the Civic has always been just an incredible value. So, uh, you know, my first take is uh, this is a really good car, but I'd love to hear more of what you have to say. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll get into the styling in just a minute because I do think you're right. It it is very interesting. But at the top end, so I mentioned this is the touring sedan. So right around $30,000 for that 30 grand, you get leather, a Bose advanced stereo, wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, wireless device charging, a one-touch power moonroof, 18-inch wheels, a nine-inch color touchscreen, and the list just goes on and on, and you get a bunch of safety features and uh, dual-zone automatic climate controls and all sorts of other goodies in there that you'd expect to see in a premium brand or a premium car uh, for thirty grand, and in a Honda. So uh, very good there. Uh, the first couple of trims get a two-liter uh, four-cylinder engine. It makes 158 horsepower, 138 pound-feet of torque. At the top end, 
The Touring that I tested had a turbocharged 1.5 liter four cylinder. It made 180 horsepower, 177 pound feet of torque, uh, sent to the front wheels through a continuously variable transmission. And we've talked about CVTs in the past. And if you've driven one, uh, some of the older Subarus, some vehicles that have these, you get on the highway, the engine just drones away. You're in town, it feels like it's lacking power, it feels a little spongy. Honda's done a really good job at making their CVT feel like an actual transmission. Uh, there's none of that sort of droning on the highway. So you're not listening to the engine coming through while you're trying to listen to a podcast or on the, on the radio, uh, and around town, it feels perfectly responsive. So would I prefer a six or eight or a nine speed automatic transmission? Sure. But I think here, the CVT, uh, Honda's done a really good job and Jack, you and I've talked about CVTs too. And I know that they're putting these in their, their so-called sport terms of this vehicle as well. Uh, what do you think of Honda's CVT? I think the CVT is really good in the Civic, and it has solved most of the problems you so well identified about CVTs. And, of course, car makers put uh, continuously variable transmissions into their vehicles largely to enhance fuel economy, which they do pretty significantly. That's fairly obvious. And, of course, somebody buying a Civic certainly would appreciate that. I think they're looking for something that's economical and has great fuel economy. So I think, overall, most of the problems have been solved. And uh, the typical civilian out there, not the enthusiast driver necessarily, who's going to racetrack these cars, uh, will be quite pleased with the CVT and the Civic. I think you're right. And if you really care about it, you can get some of the models with a six-speed manual transmission. So Honda is going to make everybody happy here, I think. But all that having been said, the car is not fast. It's not quick, but it is responsive and it does feel light and almost playful on the road. So I wouldn't expect anyone to take this out and win drag races unless you're, of course, racing me in a minivan, which, uh, you know, (laughs) I might be driving at some point in time. But it does feel light and and it does feel responsive on the road. So uh, you can have some fun if you really want to push it. But as you mentioned earlier, the styling is what really sticks out. Of course, you see the car sitting there. It does look every bit like a kind of, uh, I'm going to say shrunken, but a smaller Honda Accord. And that's a very good thing for the Civic. It's very grown up. The lines are long and they're strong. Uh, and the car looks larger than it is. And it feels larger than it is on the inside, which is a great thing for such a small car. Uh, and on the inside, like you mentioned earlier, the the uh, the styling is very clever. It's very, uh, I keep using the, the term grown up, but it is very grown up, uh, such as the uh, there's a grill that runs from corner to corner on the dash uh, and the air vents have been placed inside the grill. So it's one continuous visual line with little uh, knobs that adjust the vents and it's really clever. It makes the dash look nice and clean. All the buttons are kind of hidden away uh, and just a really good job. Plenty of room in the back seat for two children. Uh, I fought a little bit with my older daughter, me being six feet tall, pushing my seat back, um, did run into some issues with her feet in the back seat. But I think going into it with a car like the Civic, you, you kind of expect some limitations on size, uh, but you get it back in a nice large trunk and uh, plenty of tech and, and equipment, like we said. So all around, really like the new the redesign, and I can't wait to drive the hatchback. Absolutely. Should be a lot of fun, and we'll see whether you're six-foot frame, because we had to get that six-foot thing in there. Uh, I'm only 5'11". What can I do? Uh, is uh, will be interesting to see how the hatchback uh, version of this vehicle uh, fares against the sedan, which you and I both like very, very much, don't we? I do agree with that, very yes. Very good. And you agree that I'm 5'11 and you're six feet tall. That that We establish <laughs> that pretty much in every show. And uh, I have to be a little bit taller. Yeah, yes. and I, I'm, I'm happy with that. And I'm, I'm, I've, come, I've come to terms <laughs> with it, so it's all good. 
Well, here's something that uh, maybe Toyota has to come to terms with, and that is the Toyota Mirai. When I drive the Mirai, I am very, very conflicted. I'm, I'm really curious about your take on this too, Chris, because I know you're a Toyota fan. And uh, the Mirai, of course, is their fuel cell vehicle. It's the second generation of their fuel cell vehicle. And in so many ways, I feel like I'm driving the future. And then I'm I also feel, and here's the conflict, I feel like I'm driving something that has no future at all. So it is futuristic in, in many ways, using hydrogen as its fuel. And then I wonder, well, we haven't seen any kind of uh, additions to hydrogen infrastructure. If anything, hydrogen seems to be getting more difficult to get. And that uh, overall uh, spells uh, trouble, if not doom, for anything that's powered with hydrogen, as great as the Mirai is, and I think this next uh, new generation of the Mirai is a, a wonderful vehicle. What's your what's your take on the whole situation there? Yeah, you know, I complain about infrastructure with the EVs quite a bit, but with uh, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, at least over here on my side of the country, I think if you look at the map, uh, it's non-existent, right? I think it's pretty much centered in your corner of the the country. Uh, I know that Hyundai is working on the technology they have. Uh, I believe it's called the Nexo. And then they also are working on some fuel cell technology for commercial vehicles. The future of the, the technology, I don't know. It seems like it would be a great alternative to an EV when you can stop at a hydrogen uh, fueling station, fill up your tank in about the same amount of time it takes to fill up a gas tank, and then be on your way with zero emissions in the process. So uh, it's a tough nut to crack. Uh, I would like to see it become more prevalent, but it's hard to say where it's going to go. Absolutely. Well, I think you've identified the the positives and uh, you know the potential negatives of hydrogen. The fact that you can fill up the uh, vehicle just like you've uh, in very similar fashion. It's not just like filling up a gasoline tank. It's a little bit more involved, but it, it certainly doesn't take a whole lot more time. And uh, that is a, a major benefit. And I think why uh, Toyota has been sticking with this technology in the absence of very many others, I think Hyundai is the only one uh, these days that is, is pushing it in any way, shape, or form beyond those at, at Toyota. But let's talk a bit about the vehicle because it's really a cool vehicle. It has the uh, typical uh, four-door coupe shape that is both both an oxymoron and at the same time, uh, it's a good-looking vehicle. And they have mainstreamed this vehicle. The original Mirai was um, kind of out there. Not kind of out there. It was out there in terms of styling. This just looks like a good-looking uh, mid-size sedan. Just a, a good-looking vehicle. They have increased the range on a tank full of hydrogen up to 402 miles. Uh, which is more than reasonable range. If only one could buy hydrogen on every uh, street corner, uh, that would be terrific amount of range. Uh, they also include $15,000 of hydrogen cost uh, to hydrogen whenever you buy the vehicle. So you get $15,000 worth of free fuel as you buy this thing. And uh, they've, they've knocked the price down. So, you know, Toyota's doing all it can to make the Mirai a, a palatable vehicle. And it is a, a wonderful vehicle to drive. It has all that, all the smoothness and quiet of an electric vehicle. It basically operates as an electric vehicle with a, a different storage medium or a different uh, power medium, being the fuel cell versus a battery. And that's all to the good. It's just uh, the driving experience is excellent. It has reasonable power, more than reasonable power. I just like the driving experience a lot. It's a little tight for five passengers. I did a little bit of uh, uh, Uber-like driving over the past weekend uh, with the vehicle when I dropped off my wife, my daughter, and, and two of their girlfriends at a concert. And it was a little tight for uh, the 
third seat passenger, the, the middle seat passenger in the rear seat, but otherwise uh, a very, very nice vehicle. What's your take on the overall looks of the Mirai and, and how it handles? Man, the old Mirai was funk E uh, with a capital E. I mean, man, it was <laughs> like a Prius with, uh, I don't know, like a Prius that rolled down a hill or something. But this one is uh, far better looking, as you said. I love the sort of coupe and uh, fastback shape. Let me get to the price here before we're we're out of this segment. Um, the starting MSRP is under $50,000, $49,500. Again, $9,000 less than it was last time around. The limited grade, which is the, I guess, the quote-unquote nicer version, is $66,000. It has things like 20-inch uh, alloy wheels to give it a little more pizzazz, so a lot of that stuff. And then there is this $15,000 worth of free fuel uh, that you get with uh, the purchase of, of any Mirai, so uh, that, that gives you a little more impetus, I think, to buy it. It's just a, a matter of <laughs> being able to spend that uh, at a uh, station that is convenient to you. Yeah, I'll have to see if they pop up on this side of the world anytime soon. It's not like a ton of them have popped up on this side of the world either, on, on, on the left <laughs> coast of the country, where you would think that uh, there would be more uh, hydrogen stations. Uh, it just hasn't happened yet, so uh, perhaps it will, and perhaps it won't. I, I think uh, this is a technology, like I say, that might be the future, or it might have no future. And when we come back, we're going to be doing our interview segment with Tricia Morrow, who is a Chevrolet safety engineer. So stay with us for that. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack and Road back with you. We have a special guest. I would call Tricia Morrow a friend of the program by now. She has been on America on the Road several times. She is a Chevrolet safety engineer, uh, so knowledgeable about all things safety, uh, among other things. Also a, a family person, as I am, uh, has, has kids and uh, wants to take care of them. Uh, Tricia, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jack, and I appreciate being a friend of the program. Yeah, it's not everybody who's a friend of the program, so uh, you know maybe we'll send you a, a hat or T-shirt or something that says "Friend of America on the Road" uh, somewhere down the, down the line here. But uh, this is an interesting time of year, right? Kids are back in school. Uh, a lot of hubbub around schools that you don't see through the summer, and certainly we have not seen uh, through uh, the pandemic summers of the last couple of years. Uh, Talk to us a bit about uh, the overall challenges to safety this time of year brings. Yeah, back to school is certainly in full swing. And Chevy has recently worked with the Harris Poll to survey parents to see what they really think about returning back to school. And the data showed us three key themes. The first, that parents are worried about being back on the road as they prepare for the school year. 68% of parents are concerned when thinking about their kids going back to school. They're also concerned as a second theme about their teens. So these new, less experienced drivers may face more aggressive driving environment on the road. 61% of parents are concerned about their teen on the road because of potential lost practice time during the pandemic. And last, parents really do lean on in-vehicle technology for peace of mind. Almost 80% of parents agree that this in-vehicle technology does give them a little extra peace of mind, including those technologies found in the 2022 Chevy Traverse. 
Let's talk a little bit about uh, just what happened when people were not driving as much. And uh, I think the last time we spoke, Tricia, we talked a little bit about the fact that I felt a little rusty going back on the road and I drive for a living. So I imagine, and certainly teen drivers who don't get much practice anyway, and then were uh, heavily restricted from their driving, uh, you know, tell us a bit about what you think that the effects are on them. Well, Jack, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, people didn't forget how to drive. They might just be a little bit rusty. And during the pandemic, we did see a lot less vehicles on the road. But unfortunately, according to the National Safety Council, the traffic fatality rate, which is the number of fatalities per mile driven, jumped by 24% in 2020. You know, a lot of this is attributed to increased vehicle travel speed. So so people were traveling at faster speeds and they weren't wearing their seatbelts. So, you know, again, a lot of, you know, safe driving behaviors were not being practiced during the pandemic. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, certainly that that has extended to things like uh, running stop signs. It has become an epidemic uh, in my area. I hope not in yours, but I think we're seeing a lot more of that. A lot more dangerous driving behavior and how do we rein that in, Tricia? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think a lot of us are witnessing a lot of these, you know, unsafe driving behaviors. And I think it's really important that, you know, since it may have been a long time since some of us have been on the road or, you know, maybe thought about safe driving, that first and foremost, we re-familiarize we re- ourselves with our vehicle. Make sure we know all the features and functions and, you know, really set navigation and things like that before we hit the road. You know, also follow the rules of the road. When I'm talking to my daughter, I always make sure, drive slow, Make put your seatbelt on and keep your phone down. You know, make sure that you talk to your teen about safe driving and follow the rules of the school. I know many of us might have been in school for a while now, but there's specific drop off and pick up lanes. And it's inevitable, you know, at least for my family, it's inevitable that we'll be running late. And it's so important that we give ourselves a little extra time so that we don't double park and have our kids run through traffic or run through parked cars. Because practicing good driving behaviors is really what's going to lead to a, to a really great, safe school year. Absolutely. We're talking with Tricia Morrow. She is a Chevrolet safety engineer about the important uh, items of uh, family safety uh, in this time of year. Let's talk a little bit about modeling behavior. I think if if the adult in the room, if the adult in the car is doing the right thing, that will translate into uh, the teen drivers doing the right thing. Don't you agree? Absolutely. You know, as an adult driving the car, you know, I and as a, as a, as a safety advocate, you know, my line is, you know, eyes up, phones down, seatbelts on. But, you know, Chevy also offers a lot of great features that will also help us remember to do that. You know, the 2022 Chevy Traverse comes with a new feature called Buckle to Drive, which will actually help parents model good behavior. Buckle to Drive is a really strong seatbelt reminder that can prevent the driver from shifting out of park if they're not wearing their seatbelts. Now, for for those of us that may need reminders from time to time to buckle up and are habitual seatbelt users, you know, this is a great feature that will really provide that extra reminder on the importance of seatbelt use. 
Um, the reminder will time out. And of course, you could turn off the feature if, if this is not a valuable feature to you. But again, in the, in the vein of modeling good behavior, you know, wearing your seatbelt is the number one action anyone can t- take to help prevent injury in a crash. And buckle to drive is just a feature that's really giving us that extra reminder on the importance of seatbelt use. And keeping an eye on your teen as they drive, I mean, it's not uh, always that easy, but uh, you have, uh, and Chevrolet offers, a teen driver. Talk a bit about that and how that helps uh, parents monitor their teen's behavior. You know, as as a parent of a teen driver, um, letting go is something I'm not very good at, especially when it comes to letting her out on the road. And, you know, Chevy does offer a teen driver, which is a great technology that can really help parents keep the conversation of safe driving going with their teen when we can't be out on the road with them. You know, for my daughter, for example, really appreciates um, we have a uh, speed reminder set at 40 miles an hour. And the main road outside of our home is a 35 mile an hour um, speed limit. She actually has, has mentioned on several occasions that she appreciates that speed limit as a reminder that she might be going too fast. So it's just a, a speed limit that says, you know, speed limit exceeded. And, you know, it's really a great reminder for her. Teen Driver also has features like a radio mute if the driver and detected passenger are not wearing their seatbelt. Again, just there might be so much on the minds of our teens today between returning to school and, you know, I know my daughter's applying to college and, you know, it's really important that they remember that the most important click of the day really is of that seatbelt. Right, absolutely true. At the same time, there is so much electronic auto uh, driver assist these days. Uh, I think it, it might be mind-boggling to somebody, a uh, consumer coming into the marketplace, they haven't bought a car in four or five years, and, and here they're uh, confronted in a, in a positive way with a lot of choices about safety. Can you sort some of that out for them? Absolutely. You know, active safety features are becoming more and more prevalent in in the industry. And, you know, Chevy offers, especially on the 2022, um, on the 2022 Chevy Traverse, we have Chevy Safety Assist, which is standard on all trims. And it includes a suite of six active safety features like automatic emergency braking, front pedestrian braking, lane keep assist with lane departure warning. What all of these active safety features are designed to do is help reduce crash speeds or avoid crashes altogether. Uh, General Motors did groundbreaking research with the University of Michigan Transportation Research Institute on some of our safety features, our active safety features that we offer. And we found that automatic emergency braking, for example, with forward collision alert, is 45% effective at reducing those front ends or those rear end collisions. And, you know, some of these active safety features are just so important on the road to zero crashes and on the road to reducing crashes that, you know, when you're out shopping for a new vehicle, it's really important to understand what is offered and how they really can help and assist the driver in, in crash situations. Right, and it's it's very difficult to demonstrate these things. Obviously, <laughs> it's hard for us to test them as uh, vehicle testers, right? I mean, it certainly is hard for us as an, as independent vehicle testers. Of course, Chevrolet has a lot more uh, resources and uh, ability to do that. But uh, it's important that 
folks understand what these things can do without necessarily getting a demonstration of that during a test drive, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, another great feature of Chevy's teen driver is that when teen driver is active, all of these safety features that are available in the vehicle are defaulted on. So, you know, for example, my daughter has had automatic emergency braking engage while she was driving. And I like to think that she learned a very valuable lesson on following too close and paying attention to the road without a wrinkled fender, without having any adverse consequences of a crash. Instead, she learned you know, perhaps not to follow as closely and, you know, very important um, road lessons. But this automatic emergency braking really helped um, helped with those lessons. Absolutely true. And, I, you know, we talked a bit about distractions from the from things that happen in the vehicle. But one of the things that is very distracting to people uh, very often are other people in the vehicle, right? I mean, teenagers driving with other teenagers, a whole family together in the car, and uh, thus less attention paid to the road uh, than paid to uh, what's going on in the vehicle. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, that's interesting. Um, more people in the vehicle is obviously something that, you know, as a family, my daughter, we've talked a lot about. It can be distracting to a new driver. Um, you know, more kids in the vehicle, more voices, um, you know, obviously more things to take her attention away. But we've also found that, you know, with more people in the vehicle, you know, if the driver buckles their seatbelt, that more people, um, that the rest of the vehicle is more likely to buckle up. So again, you know, just making sure that we always are cognizant that our driver's wearing our seatbelt, it influences everyone else in the vehicle. But, you know, to your point, it's really important that as a passenger, we plan safe passengering behaviors, right? Don't distract the driver. What are some of the other pieces of tech or just some other hints you might have for people as they uh, start to do a lot of driving, maybe after not driving for uh, the better part of a year or maybe even longer than a year? You know, I think it's important. You know, I, I mentioned that I have children. It's important to remember that we do have USB ports that can keep our devices powered up. There's 4G available Wi-Fi in the vehicle. You know, so the kids can really take advantage of listening to their music and audiobooks. And, you know, as we hit the road, it's, it's a great way to keep them entertained, to keep kids and adults entertained as well. Absolutely. It makes a whole lot of sense. And, of course, there are no statistics on accidents that didn't happen. Uh, I don't know how you would go about tracking that. But that is the goal of all of these uh, electronic driver assists. And, uh as you know, as a uh, Chevrolet safety engineer, they really work, don't they? They do. You know, and we have done some research to really try and figure out. We, we track vehicles that have these features and then similar vehicles that don't. And we're able to detect the crashes that one set of vehicles were in versus the other. So really trying to gauge the effectiveness of them. Um, and we found that a lot of the, the active safety features offered on our Chevy products really are effective. They're making a difference reducing crashes on the roads. Absolutely. And a great way to sum up. Tricia Morrow, a Chevrolet safety engineer, thanks so much for being with us. We enjoy having you as a friend of the program, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks. It was great talking with you. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. <music> 
Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. Jack D. Red back with you, and it is listener question time as we sum up America on the Road for this week. And thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Chris, I think you have a listener question that you're going to pose to me, don't you? I do, actually. Uh, this is from Steve in Round Rock, Texas. Steve says uh, he was just out in California, and he saw the gas prices there and wondered why gas prices in the fair state of California are so much higher than they are in many other places around the country? Well, there are a couple of reasons for it. One is strictly supply and demand. And oftentimes, and it's not throughout the year, but at some times of the year, California, through its regulations, requires a different blend of gasoline that is typically sold across the country. And so uh, the oil companies have to guess the demand for that particular blend and then refine it to that, uh, those specifications. And sometimes they guess wrong. <laughs> and when they guess wrong low, uh, fuel prices shoot up because uh, supply and demand works that way. Uh, another thing that's uh, important out here is the fact that uh, taxes are extremely high on gasoline in California. Uh, they're high across the country, certainly, or one could make that claim, I guess. But uh, they're particularly high in the Golden State. So uh, I think those are a couple of reasons why we see uh, very high fuel prices in California. That's good to know. Can't argue with that. Uh, I will say that, as I told you just before we came on, I felt felt like they were high here in Maine until I started visiting your fair state. So, and I'm calling it your fair state now. So, uh, yeah, I'm not jealous of your fuel prices at all. No, there are things to be jealous about here. Fuel prices, not necessarily one of them, but uh, <laughs> many good reasons to live in California still. That's for sure. I agree. And I think that is our show for this week. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, Chris, you do a, a marvelous job. It's always great to chat with you. So um, thanks for uh, co-hosting so ably. Thank you so much for having me, Jack, and thanks, everybody, for listening. As I always do, I'll invite you to follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Teague Drives, at T-E-A-G-U-E Drives on both platforms. If you'd like to see pictures and other commentary on the vehicles that I'm driving, such as this week's Honda Civic, you can follow me there. Very, very cool. And please uh, check out our America on the Road podcast. We're available on all the major podcast outlets uh, across the country and around the world. I mean, we're global. We're universal. We're practically everywhere. Uh, we're not off in space yet, but, you know, perhaps in the space station, uh, people can receive America on the road, and, and rightly so, uh, because they can see America and all its roads from up there in space. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new or used car, you just want automotive information, go to drivingtoday.com. That's drivingtoday.com, where there's tons of automotive information for you every day. Just join us at drivingtoday.com, the official website of America on the Road.